welcome back to the morning briefing. Today's Thursday, August 4th. This is episode 191, and I am broadcasting live from Lake of the Ozarks at the Missouri Sherm Conference. We are out with Captain James on our fishing uh, expedition here. I know we have a lot of rain back in St. Louis, and uh, I'm just going to stay on the boat, float my way to my front door. Um, I know if you're uh, in the city there, be careful. Uh, still more flooding, and uh, unfortunately, that is not good for us. We've had enough rain. With me, as always, is Bert Garland, and together we bring practical, timely, and accurate insight into today's workplace. It is our goal to keep you informed so you can more effectively run your business. Today's topic is the NLRB partnership with the Department of Justice and FTC. Uh, we also want to talk about the deal that uh, Manchin and Schumer reached on energy and healthcare. Bert, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. I feel bad for uh, all, all of this uh, rain and flooding again. Uh, my my basement, I checked this morning, is dry, but uh, I'm sure plenty of people are, are dealing with uh, issues. A lot of us live in these old homes in uh, the St. Louis area, and it's a shame to see this kind of rain coming back at everybody again. So uh, while, while I appreciate the fact you guys are on a boat down there and you're, <laughs> you're, you're playing around with your little dinghy boat, uh, Phil. Uh, let's, keep, it, uh, let's keep it PG yes, now. Keep it hey, PG. It, a, a dinghy is a boat. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do feel badly, though, for all the people who might be affected by this flooding once again. No, it is. It, it has a um, kind of a a resemblance of 1993 flood, but in a very different way. I, you know, that time in 93, the, the rain was from north and, you know, yep. that caused the rivers to flood where we're having these torrential downpours causing uh, horrible flooding. And um, hopefully none of our listeners are experiencing any uh, major uh, damage from that. Yep. You know, yep. if you guys aren't careful, right. you're going to end up like this on that boat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a good picture oh, no. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that's a good one there. I, uh, I like the professor there. He's always into something good. Let me give you a quick tour of what we got going on here uh, from, from Lake of the Ozarks, and we'll get on with our topic today. Behind me in the background, we are waiting for, um, that is the, uh, that I, we'll give him a name here. That's, that's the skipper in the background, uh, Skipper Brian. He is our CFO at AIM, and he's uh, been trying to catch a fish for about 40 minutes now, and he has had no luck yet. Um, I'll tour around here, and up on the front, if you can see that, that's uh, producer Tim. He is Nick's counterpart, but he does work for AIM, and he has caught two snags so far um, and had no other luck. And helping him out um, carefully there is uh, Captain James. So we are waiting uh, for a report. Oh, we got a fish on. Hold on, fish on. Fish on. Hopefully you can see that. Okay. We got a little one. Break the ice. Ah. We just lost All our right. PETA sponsorship. Now, now, I don't, I don't, yeah, we lost the PETA pot. There you go, Timmy. Very, very oh, good. he yeah. drops it. He dropped it. He dropped it. So, All right. so, so I don't want to accuse anybody down there of manipulating the broadcast, Bill, but how long, how long has that fish been on the line so that you all had it prepared to pull out of the water right as you straight over there? This is just like a regular fishing show on television. We got somebody down there hooking the fish, and then we reel them in. Yep. <laughs> So, all right, Bert, let's get let's get on to business. Um, yep. We'll keep you updated here if we get any good action. 
Um, so what do we have going on with the Department of Justice and is it the EOC? Yeah, well, no, it's the Department of Justice and the National Labor Relations Board and NLRB. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, the NLRB is really uh, quite quite the activist agency. It was similar under Obama. Uh, and now we're seeing it again under the Biden administration. There's also another reason why the NLRB is really quite activist these days. The Department of Labor and the EEOC uh, the Department of Labor has had trouble getting some of its uh, 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 staffing passed through Congress. Um, in particular, the head of the Wage and Hour Division, uh, it's, it, they've had a difficult row uh, to, to, to try to get a new uh, head of the Wage and Hour Division at the Department of Labor. So they have not been as activist as we would, we would expect. Uh, during the Biden administration so far. The EEOC actually doesn't turn over to a Republican-dominated, uh, I'm sorry, Democrat-dominated uh, EEOC until maybe it happened last month or uh, it's about to happen in the next month or two. And uh, at that point, Trump's majority at the EEOC will drop off. That's not the case um, with the NLRB. The NLRB is a... Uh, uh, Biden dominated NLRB, and that's made mainly because he was able to uh, uh, terminate the prior general counsel of the NLRB, and he hired Jennifer Abruzzo as the NLRB's general counsel. And we've spoken before on this program of how Abruzzo is a uh, uh, dyed-in-the-wool uh, Democrat uh, and, and has been a union lawyer actually worked for unions themselves. She was a union lawyer for, for a good chunk of her career uh, in private practice prior to going to work for the unions themselves. She did what I do, except she did it on the union side. I do it on the business side. And so with Abruzzo in charge at the NLRB, the NLRB has been particularly aggressive uh, trying to turn things in favor of unions. And one of the first things that the NLRB did was they entered, a few, uh, not, not too many months ago, they entered into what's called a memorandum of understanding with the EEOC and the Department of Labor. And we've stressed many times on the program, uh, what that means is that if the NLRB or any of those other agencies comes knocking on your door uh, to look into a violation, there's a substantial likelihood that they're going to be sharing information with the other agencies, the other federal enforcement agencies, uh, to, so that they can also come knocking on your door. So before we get into the NLRB partnering with the other agencies like the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission, Nick, I believe we have a poll ready to roll today. So uh, why don't I try to get uh, the, the poll out there? Uh, if you can put that up. So the question is, did you get concerned when you heard about the NLRB partnering with other agencies like the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission, and frankly, we can add the EEOC and the Department of Labor in there. And the answers are, number one, no, I don't get concerned because nothing major will change. Two, yes, I get concerned because I feel it will expose us to more risk. And three, I tune into the show to find out how concerned I should be on topics like this. Again, it always means so much uh, for us to be able to hear from you and really offers us perspectives 
that you won't find anywhere else and it enables us to share your various pers perspectives with each other so uh nick is did i did i cover that poll question properly you got it that is it right. so we'll be checking that out and we'll we'll see here in a few minutes what we have okay very good and phil just uh while while you're while you're flipped sideways there uh down in the ozarks i'm i'm gonna we had a couple of questions from last week too that i thought i would uh, try to address really quickly the first one comes from martin and martin asked the question can employers deduct from an employee's paycheck an escrow uh that he called escrow in quotes in case they are not turning in equipment and the Department of Labor and Missouri state law are pretty firm on all of this. Uh, Illinois differs a little bit differently. So what I'm suggesting right off the bat is you're definitely gonna need to know what your state law is in this area. And deducting from an employee's paycheck in the form of like an escrow, uh, in most states, uh, most states are like Missouri and like federal law uh, that you can deduct from an employee's paycheck for lost equipment, stolen equipment, damaged equipment, et cetera, et cetera, uh, so long as you do not deduct the employee below minimum wage. That is not true in every state, but in a lot of states you can do the deduction, but you may not deduct them below minimum wage. And you also need to be really careful that if you do the deduction, in a work week where the employee has overtime that you also take into account that you're not deducting the person below time and a half their regular rate of pay. Uh, so while you can do something, it doesn't mean you should do something. And again, in a lot of states, you can't even do it. You're not even allowed to do it. Uh, in states like Missouri, uh, I strongly, strongly recommend that you get the employee's consent or the authorization to deduct from the employee's paycheck for anything uh, that the employee might damage uh, or, uh, or, or lose or fail to return at the end of uh, their employment or at the end of a, a period where they're required to turn in equipment. Uh, you wanna make sure you have that, empl that employee's authorization to do the deduction. Uh, what we're talking about, Martin, is something called self-help, and it's the employers trying to self-help themselves to make sure uh, that the employees uh, are not sort of getting away with taking the employer's equipment. I always recommend that you as the employer always try to get an authorization. I don't recommend, however, taking money from an employee's paycheck and holding it in escrow. Uh, I would strongly suggest Right. Hold on one second. Sorry about that. Uh, I would strongly suggest that you uh, uh, do it from an employee's active paycheck, not from not from various paychecks and holding it in escrow. Uh, I think you could get into uh, an area into a little bit of trouble if you're doing it from earlier paychecks in anticipation of the employee losing or not turning in equipment. So I'd be very careful with that. Uh, in Illinois, uh, for instance, it's a little bit different. You can only deduct from an employee's paycheck if you have a contemporaneous authorization to do so. 
So in other words, right, in Missouri, so you got to explain what that means to us. Yeah. You're throwing so these big Missouri, words around again. So in Missouri, you can deduct uh, from an employee's paycheck anytime you get an authorization from the employee. In Illinois, the uh, authorization has to be contemporaneous, meaning it has to be along with the or at the time of the deduction. So you can't sort of get a pre-agreement with the employee to make uh, a deduction there. So again, you wanna be very careful about this. Missouri also is a little bit different from the standpoint that Missouri treats the final paycheck differently from regular paychecks. And so you wanna be careful about that as well. So Martin, what I'm suggesting to you is, is that uh, you, you, there, there's all kinds of issues and pitfalls associated with making deductions from employees' paychecks and a little bit of legal guidance uh, would, would go a long way toward you there. Phil, can we take uh, one more question here from viewers from last week? Yeah, let's see. Uh, looking, you know, Bert, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time finding my, my list of questions here from, from last week. That's all right. Let me uh, let me take a let me take but, a run at it. Julie asks, uh, employees that work from home sign an agreement that lays out the rules. So that's great, Julie. I'm glad that you are going down that route and you're having employees sign something, a remote working uh, remote workplace agreement, probably. And she says that they're treated differently during work hours. Is this OK? And I think what she means by that is these employees do not qualify for perfect attendance, full COVID sick pay that we offer. Uh, those employees get uh, up to eight hours a year and, on, and on-site employees get 40 hours per year. Since these employees at home can work even if they are sick with COVID and on-site staff cannot. And Julie, yes, the answer to your question is you can treat employees differently under those circumstances. Employees who are working from home have the ability uh, like you said, to work while they're sick, uh, depending on the, the severity of the illness. And as long as you're not creating some sort of other uh, discrimination type claim, uh, you can go ahead and distinguish between employees who work from home versus those working in the workplace. So, Phil, that cleans up a, a question, couple of questions from uh, the show from last week. We're getting yep. some feedback from your, your guys sitting on the boat behind you there. So, uh, uh, you might want to tell them to tamp down the excitement from all that fishing that's going on out there. Yeah, they're they're a noisy little group here. I'm, yeah. I'm going to see if I can't figure out how to mute this on them uh, in between. But Nick, can we take a look at the uh, poll results? Is I saw that flash up on the screen. Was there a result that you can read to us there? While yes, I try there to is. Out Let me to... grab this here. So uh, it's early, but we have a third that say yes, they do get concerned because they feel it will expose them to more risk. And you have uh, the other two-thirds that they tune into the show to find out whether they should be concerned. And so no one sees something like this and says, hey, I don't, I, you know, no red flags come up. So everybody well, believes yeah. that they got it. They have to look into this at least some more. So, Bert, the other thing I want to do is just share with you some feedback. So, you know, I had a chance yesterday. They got about 450 um, uh, HR professionals from around the state here at the uh, resort uh, at Tantara. I'm not sure if they call it Land Shark, Margaritaville, Tantara now, what the name of it is. But they've done a good job at the resort, and the conference uh, is always very well attended. And I can't tell you, if I've had one person, I've had 30 40 people come up and say, hey, 
that morning briefing program was a lifesaver and they love the fact that we have branched out into other topics now. Um, and I have several people said, Hey, tell Bert, hello. They still pass along their condolences for your father. Um, but the impact that, that you're making and, and that we're having as far as helping people run their business on a daily basis, if you ever wonder and you're not sure, it's been fantastic feedback. And I know you're not here to get it, but I definitely wanted to share that with you. Well, I, I appreciate great. you letting me know that, Phil. That's uh, great to hear. I appreciate the condolences once again uh, from, from folks down there. And it's always nice to, to get a little pit me up, both from a condolence standpoint and uh, the standpoint that we are out there helping uh, people kind of navigate these difficult employment issues. And so, Nick, I'm, I'm looking at the poll results right now, and it looks like we're almost up to 70% that say uh, they're tuning into the show to find out how concerned they should be on topics like this. So I think that makes for a really good segue into uh, our main topic for today, which is the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice's Memorandum of Understanding with the NLRB. Uh, and what those really do is they reflect that the administration is really going to continue focusing on restrictive uh, labor relationships and the gig economy. I mentioned last week that when, uh, when, when these MOUs were coming out, uh, that, that they really were targeted at the gig economy workers and making sure that employees are or, or workers are properly classified as employees as opposed to independent contractors uh, and that they're not overly restrictive on those employees. Think from a non-compete or a non-solicitation uh, solic standpoint, easy for me to say this morning. So uh, just last week, um, the uh, or, or yeah, uh, really about a week and a half ago, uh, the FTC and the NLRB did announce this new memorandum of understanding. And I want to make it clear that um, even though the NLRB press release on this uh, described this really as a partnership between agencies that will promote fair competition and advance workers' rights, the FTC. Uh, was a little bit more aggressive in their press release. And, you know, they said that this was going to uh, uh, bolster the FTC's efforts to protect workers by promoting competitive U.S. labor markets and putting an end to unfair practices that harm workers. And when they say unfair practices, they mean exactly what I just said. That's non-compete, non-solicitation, and then this whole notion of independent contractor with the gig economy. So your Ubers, your Lyfts, your DoorDashes, on and on and on, uh, that's who they're really going after with these MOUs. So generally speaking, an MOU, it, an MOU between agencies doesn't allow the agencies to do anything that they otherwise couldn't do before. Agencies have always collaborated and worked routinely without <clears throat> the benefit of an MOU, but the MOU uh, is very important from a public uh, standpoint, a communication standpoint, because it sends a message that future collaboration between the agencies and the areas of emphasis in the MOU is going to be a or are going to be priorities for the agencies. And it's a message really from both agencies that there are areas of mutual concern and that they share some interests. Uh, if not jurisdiction in a related space. So uh, it is a public pronouncement. And I do think with the public pronouncement, it's also 
uh, a pronouncement to the employees of all of these agencies to ramp up their efforts to be more aggressive toward employers. So uh, it, it's really interesting here that, uh, like I said, they're really focusing on uh, areas of common regulatory interests, which include claims and disclosures about earnings and costs associated with gig and other work, the imposition of one-sided and restrictive contract provisions, such as non-compete and non-disclosure provisions, uh, the extent and impact of labor market concentration. So think of, you know, kind of antitrust there. Uh, also the impact of algorithmic decision-making on workers, uh, which is also an, a, a kind of a new area, cutting edge area. And then the ability of workers to act collectively and then the classification and treatment of workers. So with this MOU, those are all areas that employers are really going to need to pay attention to. And I think for uh, the, to, again, really sum it up, the important piece for employers is, is that if you get into an issue with the NLRB, uh, the, or the EEOC, the Department of Labor, there is a decent likelihood that if your other employment practices are not up to snuff, that the Federal Trade Commission may be coming after you and the Department of Justice may be coming after you. So let me shift gears and, and talk about the Department of Justice. So the Department of Justice and NLRB Memorandum of Understanding also express similar goals about sharing information to the extent permitted by law, regulation, and agency policy. And the DOJ NLRB MOU specifically contemplates referrals between agencies and states that, quote, following a referral from the NLRB, the antitrust division will determine whether to open a civil or criminal investigation into the conduct. Uh, so last week, I told folks on the program that anytime I hear the Department of Justice come up, I get a little worried because that sort of shifts things from the civil realm to a potential criminal realm. And of course, the Department of Justice, their antitrust division has criminal prosecution authority under what's called the Sherman Act. The cooperation and referral process between those agencies may significantly raise risk for those already under investigation by the NLRB. We'll have to sort of see how this plays out in the real world uh, on, on how these referrals and the interplay with the Department of Justice's lenience policy uh, play out in their criminal investigations. But uh, again, I think that it's a, a, a kind of a scary prospect out there for employers that have non-compete agreements, uh, non-solicitation agreements, whether those agreements are interfering with antitrust laws that could possibly end up getting an employer uh, prosecuted criminally. So Phil, I kind of tossed that out there for you. Yeah, so many of so many of our listeners probably have never dealt with the NLRB directly. Yep. Um, so let's just walk through uh, scenarios how that comes to life in a workplace. You know, your your common workplace. Someone files a complaint. You're having union uh, threats. They contact the NLRB on behalf of employees. Um, what are some of the common ways that you've seen this come to life that all of a sudden now you're holding a basket of what the hell just happened? Yeah, so there, there, anybody who's listened to the program for the last 190 episodes 
we'll we'll it will certainly be aware of the fact that you don't just deal with the NLRB as an employer uh, in the context of a union organizing campaign or if you already have a union. The National Labor Relations Board enforces what are known as Section 7 rights of the employees. And real summarily, basically, Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act gives employees the right to engage in what's called protected concerted activity. And that is activity that means that they have the right to do certain things like organize, try to bargain collectively. And when I say organize, I mean bring in a union, vote in a union, or participate in union activities. But it means a lot of other things as well. It means they also have the right to discuss with their coworkers all of their terms and conditions of employment. And my favorite one to point out is sometimes when I do a hand, employee handbook and, review. And Bert, you're, you're referring to whether you're part of a union or not. These rights. Absolutely. Yeah, every employee, every employee working for a private employer in the United States has Section 7 rights under the National Labor Relations Act. So thanks for pointing that out, Philip. And, and that's what I'm trying to get at here is that whether they're in a union, whether they're trying to bring in a union, or they have no union at all and have no desire to bring in a union, employees still have that those Section 7 rights. And one of my favorite things to see these days is I'll still get an employee handbook in for review. And in the employer's confidentiality policy, it specifically says that employees are not permitted to discuss their wages with one another. And that is a that is a per se violation of the National Labor Relations Act. Hold on, we got fish on here. This is right. our third fish during the program. All right, that's a little better. We're, we're getting a little better here. Phil, I'm still not convinced that you don't have that same fish on the hook and you just keep dipping it back in the water and pulling it back out. I, I, I'm, I don't know if this is uh, Is, this is, is that real. why you told me to zoom in on your image? All right. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'm sorry, Bert. Back to the NLRB. I know that's far more exciting than fishing. That, that fish is going to get exhausted that you keep dipping back in the water. All right. So the... Uh, the, 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 the thing that I'm, I'm really getting at here is, is that employees have those Section 7 rights at any employer, any private employer in the United States. And if you are having policies that re unnecessarily restrict the employees from discussing their terms and conditions of employment with each other, you are subject to getting an unfair labor practice charge. And if the NLRB comes knocking on your door to investigate that unfair labor practice charge under these MOUs, the Department of Labor, I'm sorry, the NLRB is, is substantially likely to share information uh, about the employer. Uh, so let me give an example here. So let's say an employee, you have a policy still at this obvious one that I mentioned before that prohibits employees from discussing their compensation from, with one another. And an employee goes off to the National Labor Relations Board, they file an unfair labor practice, and the NLRB comes in, and they start investigating, and they get a copy of your employee handbook. And they see things in the employee handbook uh, that relate to competition, uh, non-competition, or they get an employee's confidentiality agreement, and that confidentiality agreement is a uh, non-compete, non-solicitation, and confidentiality agreement that may unnecessarily or overly broadly uh, restrict employees from working for competitive companies. 
The NLRB in those circumstances, when they see that, they are likely then to pick up the phone and call the Federal Trade Commission and call now the Department of Justice to say, we have an employer here that may be violating uh, antitrust provisions. And now all of a sudden you might have a criminal investigation on your hands. So the point of all of this is, and I know we've only got a couple of minutes left, Phil. The point of all of this is, is that to the extent you're using restrictive agreements at the employer, you just need to make sure that they are really tailored to protecting the employer's legitimate, protectable interests. That's a term of art. That's a, that's a phrase that means something under the law, pr legitimate, protectable interests. You want to make sure your agreements are narrowly and properly tailored to protecting those legitimate protectable interests and not uh, designed to quash or quell competition among employers and, and impacting employees' ability to freely move about to other organizations. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of these MOUs, I said it before, a lot of this really is a public relations tool that they, they're, they're using it not just to scare employers to refrain from using these types of agreements, but to sort of put some teeth behind it. They're marketing this saying, hey, you better be careful. They're hoping that through this marketing effort by releasing these MOUs, they'll get more employers to self-police and maybe drop the use of using or drop the use of uh, employment agreements. Yeah, and, and I think if I think about what you just said, and I, and I think about the action and, and target of the gig economy, um, there's big dollars, big labor behind this. And yes. what, they, what they're trying to do is um, look after their interest. We would expect them to do that, and everyone should expect them to do that. And that is to, you know, to grow their membership and to, to help, you know, to help the cause of labor. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's something we have to be aware of. Most of us aren't employing gig workers um, who are listening to this program. However, um, that has a carryover. And if we look at Starbucks and the recent activity and everything else that's going on, there is more awareness on the everyday worker today than there has been uh, probably at any other time uh, as to what their rights are. Yeah, and I think, Phil, you bring up a really good point there, that the whole idea behind all of these efforts from all of these agencies, uh, it, it's, it, while they say they're out there trying to protect employee uh, rights, what they're really trying to do is they're, they're trying to really give back to the unions here. And uh, that big, big labor is behind all of these efforts, each and every one of them. Uh, and they're trying to reverse the course of their declining membership that's been taking place for the last uh, 40 plus years, where union membership in the private sector has plummeted down to, I think it's around 6.5% right now of the private sector workforce that's unionized. And so they are desperate, literally desperate to try to reverse that trend. And the federal government is doing everything they can to help uh, the unions, this, these, these bills and these measures and uh, the, these uh, memoranda, memorandums of understanding, they're all payback to the unions for helping get uh, the Biden administration elected. Nick, I know we're over time now, but let's just take a last uh, look at that poll. And I think uh, given the timing, we'll have to push the discussion on the Manchin-Schumer uh, agreement 
to next week, and maybe we'll see a little bit more development out of that uh, from the Senate over the course of the next week. How's that poll looking? There you go. You uh, you put on your Zoltar cap, and, and you looked into the future, and you saw that it was going to be 70-30. So we are right at 70-30. All right, and we're also just a couple minutes over. Phil, keep up uh, the fishing, the good fishing there. Don't uh, crash that boat. You're going to need it when you get back to St. Louis. I'm going to float it to my front door. We got, uh, we're got we in good hands here at the Most Term Conference. Thank you. I hope uh, everyone is able to tolerate our uh, experiment here on Lake of the Ozarks. And you all take care. We'll see you back here next Thursday, 730 Central Time. Bye-bye. And to think that 10 years ago when we started broadcasting, we were going to have somebody on a boat and be a host of a show. I, I just <laughs> I just didn't expect that. Y'all have a, a lot good... of kudos to you, feature group. <laughs> yep. Y'all have a good week. Tell your story, promote your products, communicate with your employees and customers vividly, dynamically, and powerfully. Whether it's a company video, recruitment video, online training, or live meeting, Feature Group can help you from scripting to highly polished finished production. Whether it's live or on demand, we have the skills and equipment to wow your audience and drive your message home. Feature Group USA. The one-stop shop for all your broadcasting needs.